Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome to this episode of When Football Was Football. I'm Josie Imba, and tonight we're going to discuss one of the more unique coaches in the history of the National Football League. How would you like to have this guy for your football coach, if you would? He looks a bit wild-eyed, his hair is a mess, and his suit is severely wrinkled. A long cigarette continuously dangles from his mouth, and an ever-present bottle of Coca-Cola always lurks nearby. The cold weather doesn't seem to bother him, nor does the heat, but he is so ultra-focused on the game that nothing seems to penetrate his laser-sharp gaze. While we remember Jimmy Councilman as the coach of the last Cardinals team to grab an NFL championship back in 1947, his career was simply incredible well before that time. Born in 1898, Councilman graduated from Washington University in Missouri, where he was an all-conference quarterback. He was also a member of the prestigious Great Lakes Naval Training Center football team that captured the Rose Bowl on January 1, 1919, when military teams battled for the Rose Bowl crown during World War I. NFL pioneers George Hallis and Patty Driscoll were also part of that powerful squad. Councilman was one of those triple threats that we don't read much about anymore. As a quarterback, he could both run and throw the ball, and he was an accurate kicker as well. Councilman played 10 years in the NFL, and was named as the quarterback of the league's all-decade team for the 1920s. Starting out with the Decatur Staley's in 1920, Councilman also played with the Rock Island Independents, the Milwaukee Badgers, the Detroit Panthers, and the Providence Steamroller through the 1929 season. Except for the Staley's, he also coached each of those teams. His ascension to the Rock Island head coaching position came about in a most unusual way. A substitute entered the game for the player coach at the time, and the new player then shared a message with Councilman from the owner stating that Councilman was not only the signal caller, but he was also the new head coach. Apparently, his predecessor was fired during the game, and that has never happened in the history of the league. Councilman also became the player coach as well as the owner of the new Detroit Panthers in 1925. While struggling to remain solvent financially, Councilman was elated when he was able to book a game with the Chicago Bears and Red Grange during the 1925 Bears in-season tour. Jimmy figured that he had sold an unheard of amount of over 20,000 tickets for the Grange appearance and was quite pleased when he arrived at work shortly before the game and found long lines winding around the ticket office. However, he soon learned that the fans in line were demanding refunds since it had been announced that Grange would not play in the Detroit game. Councilman, ever the ethical owner, allowed refunds to any fan wanting one saying, it looked like the game would pay all our bills for the year and give us a nice cushion to work with. 
but I was honest, it hurt. We still played to about 5,000 people, but it wasn't enough. By 1928, Councilman, while still toiling as a player coach, led the Providence Steamroller to the NFL title. It would not be his last league championship. After coaching stints with the St. Louis Gunners and Washington University, where he won three Missouri Valley Conference titles, Councilman returned to the NFL in 1940 as a head coach of the woeful Chicago Cardinals. At the time, the Chicago Tribune described the new coach as follows. Councilman writes for slick magazines. He paints, he directs civic operas. He's an accomplished musician, and he's a big league after-dinner wit. But he'll have to reach very deep into his bag of tricks if he hopes to get the Cardinals very far from their 1939 seller position. Under coach Ernie Nevers the year before, the Cards had stumbled to a 1-10 record and Councilman was brought in to right the ship. In his first year back in the NFL, the Cardinals managed just a 2-7-2 mark, but one of those wins was a 21-7 triumph over the arch-rival Chicago Bears, who had been easily destroying the Cardinals in the recent past. It soon became apparent that his huge personality could be used both on and off the field to teach, entertain, or just shrug off the oddities of everyday living. Jimmy was a gifted speaker who used his own experiences, whether they were real or imagined, to deduce the complexities of life. His favorite target was usually himself, which came in handy when discussing the prospects of leading the struggling Cardinals. Councilman carefully evaluated different career options offered by his dear aunt in 1940 by saying, Perhaps Aunt Minnie was right. Driving a milk wagon is a nice, quiet life compared to driving a football team to slaughter. Jimmy once used his experience as a parent to explain why he was usually trusted and befriended by individuals from all walks of life, including his players. He said, Anybody can influence me. Take the case of my son. When he was a toddler, he formed the habit of sucking his thumb, and Mrs. Councilman thought that as the alleged head of the household... I should do something about the thumb-sucking. I tried. But do you know that after I talked to my son a few evenings about it, he sold me on the idea. And there we were, both sucking our thumbs. And Mrs. Councilman then had to get the two of us to break off that silly, but I must admit, very enjoyable habit. His humor could help his squad through some rough patches in those early years. After a 53-7 drubbing suffered against the Chicago Bears in 1941, Councilman explained his state of mind. Don't get the idea that getting beaten 53-7 by the Bears bothered me very much. I went home after the game, had a good night's rest, and a very hearty breakfast. I said goodbye to the missus in the morning and strolled down the hall to the elevator, whistling a happy tune. I was a picture of elegance in my hat, tweed sport jacket, and well-shined tan shoes. Ah, well, then I went back to my apartment and put on my pants. There were some lean years during the early 1940s. Coach Jimmy Councilman of the 47 Champs liked to recall a Southside Chicago fan's vocal reaction to his downtrodden team and an injured player during that time. Councilman recalled, and I'm going to use my best Southside Chicago accent. He said the Cardinals were losing 28-0 when our halfback was knocked out. 
four cardinals went over to carry him to the bench on a stretcher. But on the way, and picture this, they tipped it over. A disgusted fan yelled out, Didn't they learn use nothing in college? Use ain't even good Paul Burse. Councilman was not always humorous, but he was keenly aware about how his emotions could influence his team. All-pro running back Marshall Goldberg once said about Councilman, He had a temper and once in a while he let it go, but he was always planning some sort of joke or innovation to keep things going. After the Cardinals finished a combined 6-15-1 during 1941 and 1942, and rosters were continued to be thinned out by the war effort, Councilman decided to retire from football. However, he returned to the Cardinals again prior to the 1946 season and began one of the greatest stretches in team history. During his absence from 1943 to 1945, the Cardinals finished 2-32-1 overall. But in 1946, with Councilman back in charge, the Cardinals rebounded with a 6-5 league mark followed by 9-3 in 1947 and 11-1 in 1948. The 1947 team won the NFL title, while the 1948 edition dropped the championship game to Philadelphia in the infamous Snow Bowl. Following the 1948 campaign, Councilman left football again, but this time for good. So what was so unusual about Coach Jimmy Councilman? Those who played for him on the Chicago Cardinals provided perhaps the most accurate insight. Lineman Vince Benona said, He was a great psychologist who always seemed to come up with something unusual to give us an edge in a game. Defensive back Red Cochran added, I thought he was extremely smart. He was a great guy, a fine motivator, and was laid back as far as his coaching. Most importantly, he knew football and how to handle people. Halfback Charlie Tripley said, Playing for Jimmy Councilman was like playing for your father. He had such a tremendous personality and made every player feel important. And then tackle Chet Bulger added, Jimmy was a great storyteller. When we go to New York, he'd take us to his favorite restaurant called Toot Shores. He'd go in there, take over the piano, and entertain the crowd. He had a great deal of charisma. Charles Stormy Bidwell Son of the late Cardinals owner Charlie Bidwell recalled traveling with the team as a youth when Councilman was a coach, and he told the Chicago Tribune, Those were the days, and Jimmy Councilman helped make them. On those train trips, he'd entertain us with his funny stories while he drank Coke by the case. I was always sorry they never put pianos on the trains because you knew how Councilman loved to play the piano all night long. Whenever Councilman was telling a story or playing the piano, there was always a crowd of people who loved life and good times. Tackle Chet Bulger remembers Councilman's smoking habits. Chet said he would inhale a cigarette with smoke coming out of his nose and mouth at the same time. We don't know if it ever came out of his ears. And veteran Marshall Goldberg added, and he once recalled in an unusual motivational tactic used by his coach, Marshall said, we had a game scheduled in Los Angeles against the Rams, and Jimmy called me in before the game. He told me that I'd been playing really well and that if I kept up the good effort and we beat the Rams, he would give me a $500 bonus. But I wasn't supposed to tell anybody. 
That was a significant amount of money in those days. Well, we beat the Rams and I earned the bonus. We all went out to dinner and then there was a rumor that someone on the team had received a $500 bonus. I hadn't said anything, but as it turned out, everybody had been called in by Jimmy and he told everyone the same story. We all received $500 bonuses for winning that game. Following the 1947 championship season, Councilman was named the NFL Coach of the Year, an honor which later prompted well-deserved praise from Eagles coach Greasy Neal, whom the Cardinals defeated in the title game. Coach Neal said, You always had a bold, imaginative attack, solid blocking and tackling. Jimmy was as good as they came. Bob Brogue of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch perhaps summarized the career of Jimmy Councilman best when he penned the simple but accurate description of the coach on August 27, 1969, saying, Ah, this Irishman with the Dutch surname has had the gift of the Blarney, a graciousness which made him the best of fellows socially, wonderful press copy as a coach, and, in that vexing capacity, a man who knew how to steam up or relax a football team. James Gleason Dunn Councilman passed away in 1970 at the age of 72. He remains to this day the last coach to lead the Cardinals to an NFL championship, and of course that was back in 1947. However, he was able to enjoy the honor of being in just the second class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame when he was inducted in 1964. Thank you for sharing your time with us on the Sports History Network. Please join us next time when, in honor of the opening of NFL preseason training sessions, we'll take a look back at the early days of pro football training camps back when football was football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We at the Sports History Network are so glad to introduce to you a new addition to our lineup, the Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast. It's a weekly podcast that focuses on the history and memorabilia of North American football since its inception in 1869. It's hosted by Bob Swick, the publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and Joe Squires, a longtime contributor to that magazine. The podcast was launched in 2017 and has over 150 episodes that you can listen to now on the Sports History Network, as well as your favorite podcast provider. So join Bob and Joe as they go through football history, talking about the memorabilia and the great legendary players and games of the American Gridiron on the Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast.